welcome to the podcast series Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafta, and today I'll be chatting with Lexi Novitsky, General Partner at Norskin 22. Norskin 22 is a technology growth fund backed by over 30 prominent unicorn founders partnering with exceptional entrepreneurs building Africa's next tech giants. Hello, Lexi. How are you? Hey, Stacey. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we finally made this happen. It's been it's been a couple weeks. <laughs> yes, uh, lots of busy travel schedule now that COVID has ended. Where have you been traveling to? Uh, mostly around the continent. So we've okay. been spending some time in South Africa with the rest of the team Ooh, lately. Nice. What's happening in South Africa? Can you say? Um, well, we've we've actually done our first two deals, and both of those companies, although they aren't South Africa based, are expanding into South Africa now. Awesome. Okay, before we go any deeper, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your career journey and then essentially what led you to become general partner at Norskin 22. Yeah, so I moved out to Nigeria uh, over 10 years ago now and originally moved here to work in private equity. Um, But what I saw was that private equity was realizing a lot of challenges. Companies were having a hard time scaling across their borders. Currency tended to be a major issue. Uh, Wasn't quite clear yet the consumer spending ability, but at the same time saw a lot of these incredible founders that had experienced, Mm -hmm. you know, working at global tech companies or running their own businesses, um, coming back onto the continent to start their own startups in, in tech and started to get really interested in what's happening in technology. And back in 2015, launched one of the first venture capital firms on the continent, um, then called Singularity Investments. We invested in some incredible companies, um, which I can talk a little bit to later if we have time, um, but went on to put together a second fund underneath a, a name change or branding change, and it was a called Acuity Venture Partners, um, which then led us to the realization that where the, the gap was today um, was no longer an early stage investing on the continent. A lot of micro VC shops have since been set up. There's been a real active global community in early stage investing, but there's still a huge gap in the growth stage capital. So we mm. teamed up with um, some incredible um, sponsors, as well as a couple of team members, one partner based in Nairobi, Kenya, and other based in South Africa to launch Norskin 22. And Norskin 22 is very much growth stage focused. So we invest series A through C um, and really look to invest with the companies that we partnered with across their, their life cycle to really make sure they can scale across the continent. What are you interested in the investment world? Yeah, so I've I've always been an investor, um, but before I was investing in publicly traded stocks in the U.S. Okay. at a hedge fund. So I was investing in traditional banks and insurance companies. Um, and from there, you know, really developed an interest in Africa, more so because I'd spent a lot of time on sabbatical traveling around and just saw firsthand that that was a massive untapped opportunity that really the international market was not paying attention to. Um, so that really got me interested in Africa, and I proactively made the shift to to move onto the continent and um, join the, the first fund that I started with here in, in Nigeria. I'm going to ask you a question and feel free to, to answer it or not. 
But there is quite a lot of talk on the continent of a lot of Western founders in Africa getting a lot of funding and then African founded business, not so much. Do you have any thoughts on this or opinions? Yeah, so it's certainly not the case in Nigeria. I mean, all of the the companies certainly generating um, not only great performance returns, but also a lot of growth and investment capital raised um, are very much African founders with teams on the ground. And really, they're almost their entire operational team on the ground as well. Um, I think in some cases you do see it in East Africa and, and yeah. also some degree in, in South Africa as well. Um, and I believe part of it is is both a, a mix of the the resources that are available to local founders, but yeah. also potentially, uh, you know, some sort of a there might be some sort of a, a bias from investors not really understanding um, local solutions that are built for local com- customers and. I think really the way to change that is to have local investors that are on the ground investing yeah. in these companies. 100%. You guys have invested in massively successful fintechs like Paystack and Flutterwave. At what stage of their business did you guys invest in? Yeah, so we were really one of the the first investors in both of those companies. So right wow. after friends and family rounds, um, wow. we were investing in the, the pre-seed or seed stage, stages of those companies. And uh, although it looks like now um, incredible risk-free opportunities in hindsight, back (laughs) then, I I would say that that there really wasn't near as much ready investment capital available to these startups back in in those times. Um, But also, you know, I think a a lot smaller universe of, of really high quality tech companies. Now we have a lot of opportunities, um, but it also takes a lot of time to to kind of sift through and understand which ones will be the winners in the competitive landscape. What stood out about those businesses at the time since they were pre-seed round? Right now, you focus more on Series A onwards. Yeah, I think especially because we were investing at the, the seed stage, a lot of our in, investment confidence was behind both of the, the founding teams. So incredible founders that had worked building tech solutions for traditional financial services firms in Nigeria saw a huge problem that wasn't being met. Um, For Flutterwave side, it was more Mm -hmm. on the back-end infrastructure. For Paystack, it was really building out this merchant-facing payment uh, gateway. And, you know, I think we also were in a great position because Africa and and Nigeria especially, I think, had a little bit of an advantage as a late mover. So we were Mm -hmm. able to see the success of these business models and markets everywhere around the world and just felt it was a matter of time before it was unlocked in Nigeria. And these were really the, the right teams to be able to do it. You mentioned seeing something in the founders. What does that look like to you? Yeah, so it's it's something that can't really be quanti- quantitated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, much more qualitative characteristics. But I would say, especially investing in early stage teams, what we love to see are uh, technology heavy teams, so developer heavy teams, um, because it's high quality developer talent is quite expensive. Yeah. Um, we want to see the the founders having knowledge and expertise in the subsector that they're operating in, so understanding the the problems quite well. But 
We also want to see somebody who can manage a team and and build an internal cultural uh, positive internal culture to really help their their company scale up. So it isn't somebody who can just um, do all the work themselves, but it really needs mm-hmm. to be somebody who can motivate and empower a team as the company scales up from five people to fifty. Um, and a little bit of it is arrogance. Um, you know Ooh. the. <laughs> the types of founders <laughs> that believe that they're the ones that can unlock the opportunity and nothing mm-hmm. is going to stand in their way. And they have the resilience and the perseverance to really attack that. I completely love that. So right now, when investing, what do you look for in a business? And if there are fintechs listening in right now, seeking funding, what advice do you have for them? Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Yeah, so when we're looking at investing, um, or I would say at least screening to the top of the the funnel in our pipeline, and, and keep in mind, we have a funnel of you know, 300 plus companies um, that we have not only inbounds, but also have proactively reached out for. So there are a lot of opportunities there. A lot of times we're able to make a decision quite quickly. um, But the things we really look for are companies that have a business model that is not just a copycat. So if I saw another payments play today, that is not already in the mature phase or doesn't have something that's super unique, I probably wouldn't look at it, for example, even though that's a subsector that I've liked over time. Um, We look for strong product market fit characteristics. So that's showing not only rapid and consistent monthly growth rates um, in terms of top line revenue, but also showing that they can actually monetize those customers Mm. and knowing very closely how much it costs to acquire their customer and the value that they can get out of that customer over the, over the lifetime of that customer. So LTV to CAC ratio is one of the most important things to us after the monthly revenue run rate and, and that growth rate. And those are probably the two things that we look for very closely. So for a lot of founders, I would say very much understand those numbers um, specifically. Um, Secondarily, making sure that the founding team has a narrow focus on their customer base and very much Mm -hmm. knows what they're unlocking. I think in Africa, you have a, a both a problem and an opportunity where there's so many issues in the market And a lot of times founders feel like they want to attack everything and solve all the problems that they see. But that really dilutes the internal resources and also as an investor makes me feel that you don't really understand the the customer set that you're really trying to unlock. So those are the most important things that we really hammer on. 
Awesome. Okay, so let's say you're interested in a business. Now they're coming to pitch. What are the common mistakes you find when people are pitching their business or pitching why they should you should invest? Yeah, so um number 1 for me is uh, trying to raise too much capital for the amount mm. of metrics that that company is realizing. So I think founders need to be very well educated that, first of all, their valuation needs to be realistic and reasonable, but they probably shouldn't even set the valuation. Let your investors set it for you. Um, But you do need to have a very realistic expectation of your rounds of how much you're raising. So that round needs to be clearly identified in what you're going to spend it on over the next 18 to 24 months or until which time you'll raise your next round and what metrics you'll realize until that point. And you have to be cognizant of not overly diluting you as a founding team. So that's my number one pet peeve. And it happens all the time. Um, You know, a company that's a $6 million annual run rate trying to raise a $20 $20 million round, yeah. um, it, the numbers just don't stack up. Secondarily, putting in financial forecasts, um, although there's something that we might look for when we start doing our work, less mm. important to me is having those in the deck. More important is really understanding these unit economics that I mentioned. Mm. How much is it acquired to acquire your customer? How are your customers retained on the platform? How are they churning? how your company your customers are upselling and what your your smooth monthly growth rate really is um so those are really my pet peeves okay think about a time a business came to you pitched to you is there something that stood out there's like one business you're currently thinking of what did they do they grabbed your attention maybe going into this meeting you didn't think this was going to be the right move. Is there something this business did or just a, a pitch that really, really stood out to you? Yeah. I mean, I, I would actually maybe answer this a little bit different. So there's a lot of companies that we, you know, we've engaged with at their earlier rounds and maybe for whatever reason, they weren't interesting to us at that point, but mm-hmm. they have added us to uh, their investor mailing list and kept us updated on the numbers. And we yeah. we look at those no- numbers, we read those emails, and there's been times where suddenly, you know, we've seen the switch turn on and we're like, wow, this company has reached product market fit. They now really understand what they're doing for their customer base. Now it's interesting for us. So that's also great advice. I think a lot of founders are very um, tight on their data um, and to a point, you know, they, they can be, but sharing this high level information with investors consistently, um, can help you get on their radar. And, you know, it's at the end of the day, there's lots of founders that can tell a great story, but it really boils down to, to what the numbers reflect and how you're unlocking that, that opportunity set. One of my earliest podcast recordings was this business called Funda and they were just speaking about what they did when they were turned down for investment. They said something similar to you. They had this list of people that they're emailed on every small win. So this wasn't necessarily 
all to do with revenue, but when they had a new member join, when they had, they signed on a, a new client and they said that they kept on doing this until it reached a point where this investor was like, okay, I've heard enough. <laughs> I'm, inter- I'm interested. And I was like, that's brilliant. Sometimes you just got to, even the smaller wins, um, just showing how you look at your business and where you find value, I think is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Awesome. Um, A question I have for you are, what are the challenges some of these companies you've invested in have faced? Yeah. So the the challenge that I think comes up a lot is the access of high quality talent when these companies are scaling. And what Mm. we find, um, especially in Nigeria, but I I think that this is a Pan-African problem as well, is that because People are so entrepreneurial. The best senior talent goes out and starts their own business. Um, and that really leaves a, a gap in finding the local developer talent or you know, even senior managerial talent that can really help these businesses scale up. Um, and even to a point now, I think Africa has become a hub for global talent agents to find people to work on contracts for some of the top tech companies in the world. And that's even made it more of a, a problem for us. Um, secondarily, I think a, another problem is is certainly just around the access of debt capital. So for a lot of companies that are solving a lot of these real problems in terms of, you know, neo-banking, access to credit, uh, supply chain, the availability of debt plays a, a huge important role in them being able to scale up their their business opportunity and equity capital is not a is should not be used for that debt capital as much as can be possible um, yeah. and the availability of debt in the african market is still quite limited um, we're starting to see more of it in nigeria um, but especially in south africa and east africa i think it's it's quite hard to unlock now I would love to go back to your comment on talent and talent in Africa. Is there any trends you're currently seeing? Um, I know we talk quite a lot about the lack of tech talent in Africa, but is there any other trends you're seeing when it comes to talent, especially these early stage businesses? And do you have any solutions to the problem we're currently facing? So I think talent is, it's almost a, a lagging, um, not indicator, but a lagging problem where a lot of successful tech companies are creating much more talent, but it lags the need, so to say, because the opportunity set is being, you know, people are building businesses faster than these Mm. big tech companies can produce and build out their own talent to mature that'll then go out into the ecosystem. Um, Of course, there are lots of developer academies that have helped, but I would say they've helped much more on the junior talent rather than the senior talent level. And that's where the big gap is. So eventually those junior talent people will have the the training and the work experience and expertise to become senior, but that's also quite lagging. Um, One thing in Nigeria, interestingly, that we are seeing a lot of is actually a lot more women enter tech as a paper preferred career line um, rather than going into medical or, or, or law, you know, they're being quite attracted to the, the tech industry because it's not only fast growing, but I think it's a lot less 
branded as a male dominated field than a lot of these yeah. other traditional industries. And in some cases really offers a, you know, a bit more flexibility. Um, there's a lot of things that we still need to address around that, such as uh, the workplace environment and certain policies around mm. harassment and diversity. But I, but I think in terms of early days of how the tech system is evolving, um, I, I see a lot of optimism there. Yeah. And good talent in Africa is really expensive just because there there isn't as much of it. And people can charge this amount because they understand their worth. They understand their options. We work with a couple startups that fall in love with certain talent. They're like, listen, I'm going to wait until my next funding round, then I'm going to hire this person. Or we have some people that believe in hiring maybe taking off a couple years experience or um, taking away a couple skill sets and then training them up. Is there any advice you have for startups that are really struggling to hire the exact talent they want because of funding or because of just the the salaries that these candidates are asking for? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think um, we very much are big proponents of not only developing and training talent internally, um, but making sure that they're also motivated to stay. So Mm. there's a lot of uh, lack of education around equity ownership and ESOP plans and what that actually means for how it translates into cash returns. You know, right now, I think still a lot of um, tech talent on the continent sees their employee stock option plans as nothing but a number on a piece of paper. And we mm. haven't seen enough exits where it's really translated into hard dollar returns. Yeah. So I think yeah. that that's a big piece of it. Um, but I think that's what you have to do is you you really do have to train internally, um, but also in, encourage your most senior talent to mentor the more junior talent players in there and and build a culture where people feel secure and safe and they want to stay. I think Paystack has done an incredible job of this. Yeah. They've had some of yeah. the, the lowest talent churn we've seen anywhere on the continent. What are they doing? What do you believe that they're doing that's keeping their talent there? I think that they do an, an incredible job of building a culture that makes it feel like a family. Um, and mm. that means being transparent on decisions, um, not trying to hide information, keeping the structure quite flat keeping managers doors open for any sort of mm. questions or concerns, um, really listening and taking feedback from even the the most junior level of, of talent members, but also, you know, having respect on people's work hours. I mean, yeah. tech companies are, are growing fast and there's a lot of demand for your time and resources. And some some people thrive in that environment. Other people realize burnout. So it's really important to be able to build in the, the systems that reward performance, but not necessarily performance um, at the expense of employee health. I love that. I absolutely love that. The last question I have for you is, what are you excited about next when it comes to Norskin 22? Yeah, so we are very excited um, now about a couple of fintech uh, subsectors, so namely um, neo banking, um, micro lending, and agency banking. 
Mm. We're also quite excited about cross-border transactions and are doing a lot of work there. Um, But we also think that identity for the first time is really showing some very encouraging signs of, of being unlocked and believe that identity both on the KYC and onboarding and open banking are, are really attractive opportunities right now. Um, I personally am, am very excited over the long term about uh, both supply chain solutions as well as social commerce models, because I, I do think that that's really the way that you're going to unlock commerce in Africa while empowering the mass market. Absolutely love it. Thanks again, Lexi. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Nice. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you? Yeah, so I can be found pretty easily at LinkedIn or our website is norskin22.com and you can email any of the team members from there. Fantastic. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Success, Connecting the Global Fintech Community. Feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at Talent in the Cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent, expanding your team, or you yourself are looking for a new, exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.